Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is Greg Newkirk. Greg is a paranormal investigator, travel writer, and real-life monster hunter. In other words, he's a professional weirdo. For the last two decades, Newkirk has been tracking down and investigating cases of the anomalous, the occult, and just plain weird. In that time, he's tackled cases of encounters with mind-dwelling extraterrestrial goblins, witnessed the mysterious brown mountain lights, drank questionable liquids with real vampires, and had books thrown at him by a poltergeist trapped in a church. When he's not crisscrossing the country in search of monsters, mysteries, and magic, Greg can be found performing strange, often dangerous experiments in search of the truth. <laughs> Whether he's orchestrating successful alien abduction attempts, rappelling into sacred caves on spirit quests, or summoning the spirits of the dead for a chat about the afterlife, Greg is regularly pushing the boundaries of paranormal investigation well beyond ghost hunt. Greg, welcome to the show. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you guys for having me. We're more thrilled. Yes, we are <laughs> definitely thrilled. <laughs> Especially, I, I just have to, again, just for the record out here, talk about, I just want to say this publicly, get my voice again out. Hellier is so elegantly done. And so for people that are really into the truth, of these matters and the nitty gritty this is what it is we live in this hollywood culture where people want boom boom bang bang and that's just not that's not how these things play out it, it's subtlety it's synchronicities and uh it's a lot of dot connecting and this is what the docuseries really brought to light it gave a realness to something that's got such a facade of uh tomfoolery for the for the public and so it's good to have uh that represented and that means a lot to hear and uh, really a lot of that credit goes to uh, our director and editor carl Fe carl pfeiffer because uh you know we just did our thing and it, and i i'm sure a lot of people who've been uh in front of the camera will tell you they just show up and do their thing and it's really the editors and directors who take things to a weird place sometimes and uh, Carl was really great really honest and really wanted to make something that showed uh the reality of paranormal investigation and then it always it's not always as convenient as television makes it out to be which is absolutely been, been fun to see the response <laughs> from people who who expected uh who expected it to be like paranormal tv you know so that's been yes journey the last few months well this was another thing i liked about it everyone involved there was a, a nice synergy between you all it, it, on top of him doing such a great job putting this together there was a great energy and it, it seemed to show a camaraderie which was nice to experience as well 
well, we all actually like each other. We weren't cast by a production company. <laughs> yes. you know, there wasn't a, a casting producer that said, you guys have been doing this for years and this is the name of your team. You right, just didn't meet, any, work. You didn't meet anyone at bodybuilding school. That's all. No, that's true. We didn't meet anyone at bodybuilding school or uh, acting lessons. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. The mill. It's well, the mill. Right. Say hello to everyone in chat. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Hello, everyone. The crowd. I'm not there, but Jerry is manning the ship. Shanning so. the MIP. I am. Sh shanning the MIP. So let's, let's jump in. Uh, let's, and so we always start with the early days, Greg, what was, what are the things that stick out to you now that seemed uh, interesting from the very earliest memories you have? And so, and that can be anything seriously, but I like to get a foundation of pop culture, relationship to nature and the foundational stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I I've always had somewhat of an attachment to the spiritual, uh, not not in like the typical sense. You know, my dad was a Baptist minister for the longest time, um, and it's interesting how little that resonated with me, even from a young age. Uh, it was always something that I had a lot of questions about. And you know, when you're a kid, uh, your parents try and keep you away from the things that they don't want you. They don't want you reading about or getting interested in. So my parents really went out of their way to keep me <laughs> away from, uh, you know, books about the occult and things like that, uh, which, of course, just made me want to read it more. So I, I got really interested in, you know, I think UFOs were really the first thing that did it. My grandfather mistakenly bought me one of the Time Life books uh, about UFO visitations, and it scared the daylights out of me. I had to sleep with a nightlight on for years just because of the old, uh, they got the old Betty and Barney Hill sketch of the creature of the extraterrestrial in there that's kind of like silver foil. And it terrified me, terrified me so much. My parents were so mad at my grandfather for that book. Um, but because of that book, I became interested in things like the X-Files and I started watching that and in Unsolved Mysteries and the, the paranormal episodes were always my favorite. And so I think the idea of, of something else existing, there being more to the world than, than we're taught and shown, um, especially when your, your parents and your family are trying to hide that type of thing from you or give you only one version of it. I always had a draw to it. And so from a very, very early, very young age, I was, I was very interested in the, uh, the paranormal and the occult. The uh, the book that your grandfather gave you was that part of that that encyclopedia series? Yeah, it was the ones they used to have the commercials for. So they had them. They're like those thin ones. I'm actually looking at a stack of them here right now. I, I not, have them not, too. I love them. Not the Time Life ones. No, they were they were the Time Life. Ones. Oh, they were yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they were the Time Life Mysteries series. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. pivotal, pivotal for so many people. I think, I think so. I think Ren also was. Moved by them as a child. Yeah, I can, I I can imagine. <laughs> they would come, you'd subscribe, and I couldn't wait for the next one. It was <laughs> right. so fabulous. <laughs> Mine came from a thrift store. Uh, it was my, my grandfather had gone in looking for some, some antique or something, and I saw this book, and I remember very vividly him being really upset because he thought they were overpriced. And I begged him <laughs> for it anyway, and he got it for me, and that was it. So I can blame most of this on my, my grandfather. <laughs> That's excellent. 
How was your relationship with nature? Where did you grow up? I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania, a little town named Troy, uh, more cows than people, one stoplight in the middle of town. And so, so you know, my, yeah, my connection was nature, you know, from a young age, I was constantly adventuring outside. I spent most of my time outside. Um, my friends and I, you know, as soon, even before we were able to drive, you know, we had our friends, older brothers and uh, older friends that we'd met would take us out and they, we'd go looking in abandoned houses and like hang out in supposedly haunted cemeteries and things like that. So we were always outside all the time. We camped constantly because it was the one time that we could get away with. And we just tell our parents, oh, we're going camping. We're going to go on up to Mount Pisgah and we're going to go camping. And so we'd set up a base camp and then we'd go make crop circles or something, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Were you a <laughs> fort builder? Oh, yeah. Tons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fallen out of my fair share of really shoddily built forts and <laughs> hurt myself yes. many times. Oh, man, I loved making forts with my friends. That, and, and so in this, in this early period, do you remember having any kind of the any kind of childhood fears, you know, the dark, the closet under the bed, something in the wood? Yeah, a crippling fear of the dark crippling fear of the dark. Um, like I said, a, a lot of it stemmed back to that book. You know, I had to sleep with a nightlight on and <laughs> it really traumatized me. Um, I was really afraid of extraterrestrials, really afraid of that, uh, of being taken by something that was more intelligent than us that lived somewhere else. And God knows what they wanted with us. I'd read too many of those stories. So horrible, horrible fear. Even still, I mean, there's, some, there's a little bit of that still resonating in me. Uh, fear of the, I think, I think a lot of people who are drawn to study the unknown are naturally afraid of it too. Yes. Well, there is really truly something about walking towards fear. Be, there's something there for us. And, and it is the unknown. It's as, it's as much part of the unknown as, as death is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, there was a time when I was a kid I remember I had really just started getting into ghost hunting, which was a complete accident. And I, I realized what a terrible thing it was to be, <laughs> to be an amateur ghost hunter who was afraid of the dark. And so I remember going outside one night and saying, this is it, I'm done. And uh, I just walked out into the field behind my house. Um, it was, we lived on, on a, a piece of property and there was a ton of land behind it. And I just walked out into the field and into the forest and just sat there uh, facing my fear of the dark and little creepy crawlies for as long as I could. Did you, in this young period, have any experiences? You know, not really. Um, honestly, the, the first really intense experience I had was at a place called Barkley Cemetery. Um, it's an old mining cemetery. It's all that's left of, a, of a, what was once a big booming mining town um, in northeastern PA. And we had visited this place uh, and we're looking for ghosts. And um, we had little bits of uh, like coal thrown at us, which we didn't realize what it was. It was like shale until much later. And uh, we have no idea who tossed it. Um, didn't, it wasn't one of us. At least no one's ever owned up to it. I still have some of those pieces of coal. I saved them that long. They were that impactful. Um, but it took a little while before really overt paranormal things started to happen to me. But I think maybe that's a good thing because I, I might not be as interested in it now if I wasn't so driven to have that experience when I was a kid. Yeah, definitely. It, seemed, it was, although I find, it, and this, is, this goes 
uh, along with a lot of, I think, ways that people are, we're kind of born to, to stuff and we find our way too. Yeah, like I think witches are kind of born to it. They're born witches. And, uh, and so the more of these kind of paranormal stories I hear too from people I consider credible, like yourself, this is something that there's contra- uh, continuity within. Sure. So what did your, so your father was a Baptist minister and you yeah. were, a weird kid were you religious at all uh i thought i was but i think that i thought i was but i realized later in my life you know when i was in my teens i was just mirroring the things that my i thought my parents wanted me to do you know i was i was raised to be a baptist minister my my father was a baptist minister my grandfather his grandfather i mean you know you you check out uh you know the history of the new kirk name they were all ministers our name is uh uh, like Dutch for new church, dweller in the new church. <laughs> so I, I quite literally shirked, uh, I shirked what my legacy and uh, my, my family wasn't too thrilled about that. But I thought I was religious. You know, I was baptized when I was a kid, but I realized, you know, I didn't know what I was saying. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. what I was doing when I was singing bullfrogs and butterflies on, on the stage <laughs> at, at, at church. I had no clue. You didn't get stuck with the free to be you and me shit. You were like the next generation. Yeah, I was. I was very much um, being groomed to be a minister. You know, they my parents had my Bible college picked out. All of that. Um, I was going to go to the same one that my parents went to. Yeah, it was a really big deal. The day that I put my foot down, I was like, I'm not going to church anymore. Oh wow! What do they think of your work today? <laughs> they hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not thrilled. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, there's always going to be this division, I think, which is it's just funny because in all other, I know my, I know my parents are proud of me and I know they're, they're proud of me for, for, you know, making my own way, but there's always this part of me that where I, I, I accept that every time I see them every holiday, um, you know, I'm going to get the talk and my mom's going to tell me how afraid she is for my soul. And uh, I realize that it's, it's coming from a, a, a good place, but you know, it's hard to someone who, who believes that, that so strongly, it's very hard to get through to them that, you know, your way, it's the only way you've ever studied. It's the only thing you've ever known. Maybe it's not the right way, you know? Did they have a hard time coming to terms with your wife? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dana loves to joke about how my mom, for the, like, the longest time, used to call her that girl. <laughs> I've always worn that as a title of honor. (laughs) Sure. And she does too. She's a very tough lady. And, uh, you know, there's a part of her that I think enjoys, enjoys that. Um, but yeah, they, you know, it's one of those just my, even, even, you know, dinners with my grandfather and them talking about, you know, literally the words native American voodoo. Aren't you afraid of that? (laughs) Things like that. And just having to, you know, lightly touch my wife, uh, uh, you know, on her knee under the table, like, it's okay. Just let it go. <laughs> it's one of those things that'll pass. Yeah, that's some flavor. I, I, I've had to deal with that as well. That it's, it's, uh, it's always interesting and fun, but in the end, you know, the, they love you and yeah, clearly all that outrules everything. So that's, you know, at least this is all good. You seem solid with it just tell yeah. them you're trying to find the connection to these things to god 
For sure. And you know, it's one of those things that I've, I've had this conversation with my, my parents a million times. There's, there's more than one way to God. There's more than one path to God. And you know, that's something that even I think my, my dad believes on a, on a, a level, maybe he's not ready to accept yet. Yes. Were you an only child? No, I've, I've, I've got a pretty big family. Uh, I've got a, a younger sister and two younger brothers who are much, much younger. My sister's like four years younger than me. My brothers are like eight and nine. So yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty, they're pretty young with a pretty big age gap there. My parents didn't figure it out. <laughs> no, they were using the rhythm method is what's going on. Uh, yeah, for real. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't believe in birth control. Obviously. I've got one of those younger sisters. <laughs> I'm I'm 25 years older than my youngest sister. Oh wow! Look at that. Yeah, <laughs> my dad went on to another batch altogether. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Has that? Do you do you find that there's a big rift between you and them? Like, do you do you not have a great relationship, or do you not know each other very well? I I really don't. Oh, there's the all different story. We really don't know each other, and because of that, I mean, I was a full on adult living a wild life at that time, so. You know, she seems to be, she got him as a steady father that was engaged. Yeah. So I think that was very special for him. And I'm glad mm -hmm. he got that. Uh, I consider myself basically an only child because I just didn't grow up with any, anyone. So, sure, sure. so it's, she's like a stranger, I guess. Yeah. Isn't, but, that, isn't that strange? That's weird. It's interesting. I really enjoy the aspect I really enjoy the pondering of it. It's an, and we're so incredibly different. <laughs> Me and my brothers are the same kind of way, you know, like it's not quite as, as long of a distance, but um, you know, we're, it's, it's really interesting to watch them grow up because we didn't really, we didn't have that. We weren't close enough in age to really grow up knowing each other. So we get to learn what each other's like this, this far along. Still. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting. So, all right, moving back to your earliest stuff, do you recall it? If you don't recall any dreams, that's, of course, it's fine. But do you recall being a child that remembered your dreams? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I used to have this one dream. Um, it, it, I still think about it. It was recurring for the longest time. And I'm trying to think, I must have been seven or eight when I was having this. Um, really, really weird. Uh, I was in a boat in a swamp and there was a light on somewhere deep in the swamp. And at this stage, I'd never been to a swamp. I'd never been in any situations like that. So it was always really odd. Uh, and there was a light on in the swamp and I would row to it. And as I would get closer, I would see that it was a cabin, this little like ramshackle cabin just in the middle of this swamp. And then I would see that there was a, an older woman um, who I just assumed was a witch beckoning me into the into the cabin and i had that over and over and over when i was younger do you recall any details like what did she look like uh she just kind of looked like a wisely old woman like an old hedge witch um gray hair uh you know wasn't wasn't like an ugly ugly stereotypical you know movie yeah, witch the real or anything. thing yeah 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 she she just looked like a a, a wise woman and, yeah um, she was dressed in almost like a I don't want to say like a burlap sack, but maybe like a cotton, white, flowy dress almost. Uh, and yeah, she just was kind of beckoning me into the into the cabin. And as far as I know, in my dreams, I never went. Was it? What was the feeling in this dream? Mystical, odd, um, just um, 
yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, it wasn't like a normal dream. You know, they, they kind of have that, that old, I think it's a Greek concept of a big dream, you know, mm-hmm. where it wasn't the casual every day, like, oh, I have to pee. That's why I'm doing this. Right. Right. Uh, it felt bigger than that. And it happened a lot over and over. So this was a reoccurring situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, it's the one, I mean, it's the one that I remember the most vividly of all my dreams. And I don't really typically remember a lot of my dreams unless they are those big dreams. Did you ever have any, any interactions with her that you could recall any kind of transmission of information? No, other than the fact that she clearly was, she wanted me to come into the cabin. She wanted me to come into the house. Um, I never even left the boat uh, as far as I can remember in any of the dreams. And so in the earlier period when these would pop up, how did you feel when you'd wake up when you're processing the imagery? Um, not so much scared as uh, uh, maybe cautiously curious <laughs> about it. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's before I realized that dreams had meaning too. You know? Yeah, of course. As a yeah. little kid, I didn't understand. And it's funny because I've never really ruminated on that. Never really thought about that or what that meant. It, uh, this is one of the great things about talking to young people, especially with their dreams, because they don't, they're not front loaded with Jungian psychology <laughs> and all that. And it's just really honest uh, interpretation of how they're feeling about a dream, which is where I like to go with it. I think we need more. We're too bogged down. For sure. Absolutely. I think psychology and theory. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, even now when people discuss their dreams, they're really focused a lot on the the visuals of it, not so much the feeling of it. Yeah. I hear it all the time, too. It, It is, it's a constant. Someone will give me a powerful dream and then they'll start to analyze it for me. And, and as, you know, I don't, I don't analyze dreams. I'm just, looking for overlap and all that. And mm-hmm. so it, it's just like, we're almost conditioned these days to just go analyze and get, get to the nitty gritty of it. And I think right. sometimes that, you know, that's losing the luster, the magic's kind of floating away sometimes with all of that. Well, I've even found, you know, when I'm, when I'm telling someone one of my dreams, it's really hard to convey the way that it made you feel, which I think is as much an important part as the visuals of it. Because sometimes a dream that feels absolutely ridiculous, like it looks stupid. And when you de- you're describing it and you're like, oh, that's a, that was a really dumb dream. You can't explain the way it made you feel. And that's the yes. thing. Like the feeling is so much an important part of it as, as what happens. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great reoccurring dream. I, I love that. You really, it, you're quite unique, actually, especially coming from the small line of Baptist ministers <laughs> <laughs> with this mystical edge. I love this. Uh, all right, so moving a little bit further into into the dream stuff, what in general, and so let's just take this as a uh, a sweeping motion here. In general, how do you experience the dreamscape? And so, and this includes everything: senses, writing, color, all that, tactile. Um. Again, I I really don't. I don't remember a lot of my dreams. I'll remember them when I wake up, but if they, you know, I, they just, they leave so quickly. I've, I've, I've always wanted to get to the point where I have a dream journal and, and I keep track of them, but I've only really kept track of the ones that are, they feel like big. And so when I have them, they're usually, I almost group them into two, to two places. I group them into like the, 
oh, what's going on in my life that I need to analyze dream. And then the, I guess, I guess for lack of a better term, like an externally instigated dream uh, that feels like there's something else <laughs> trying to tell me what I'm supposed to experience. And so I'm a really visual person. So most of my stuff is very visual. Um, like I had a dream, I had a dream three or four weeks ago, I think uh, might've been five or six, but it was a dream where there was a very tall man coming down this really dimly lit street at me. And he, and I realized he was floating two inches above the ground. He wasn't really walking. And, um, he, <laughs> he said, uh, time is running backwards from disaster. And then he pulled a coin out of his mouth and gave it to me. And then he turned into this like gray putty and went down a sewer grate. Very visual stuff like that is what I tend to see. I don't really experience sounds or feelings so much. Um, never really, I'm never really reading anything. Everything's usually given to me pretty visually in my dream. You just reminded me of something. That, yeah. guy, that guy I was telling you about at the end of the conference. Yeah. So I, for everyone who's listening, we, I went to Paramania. I attended Paramania this weekend, which was centered uh, around Bigfoot. The, the guy from the Bigfoot Museum was telling us that almost, I don't know how many, he didn't specify, he said a lot. A lot of the Bigfoot sightings he sees, there's, it's floating. It's like six inches off the ground. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's, that's really interesting because... I mean, we could go on about this forever and I can bang on this drum, but you know, a lot of Bigfoot people don't want to admit that there's a paranormal aspect or some kind of spiritual or supernatural aspect to Bigfoot sightings because it doesn't fit in that nice little box. It's got that X factor, whatever the hell it is. Right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Did you, I think there's a paranormal aspect to everything. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and I mean, the, the, the longer that out there and I, you know what, I think you're absolutely right. And I think most people who get pretty deeply entrenched in, in, in this world start to realize that, you know, there's, there's paranormal aspects to the most mundane things that happen to us every day. And we just have to know how to look for them, how to see them. Yeah, uh, I, I gr agreed. It's the whole eyes to see. Mm -hmm. so I want to ruminate on this dream a little, just a little sure. bit. So you got that specific message, which was time is running backwards from disaster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Time is running backwards from disaster. And then, that's uh, incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't, cause I just finished, <laughs> I just finished watching Umbrella Academy. So I don't know how much of that was influenced by seeing that show. Cause there's kind of that element that like time travel element, but there's also, Frankly, things have been really fucked up since the Hellier case took off. So we don't even know what, what's what anymore. Uh, and I, I don't know how much of it is that, too. Well, that, uh, okay, so that actually leads into a big question I had coming into this tonight, which I think we can get into right now. But I, I may come back to this dream. I want a little more of that. But sure. Since you led into that, I'm... I'm curious about your connection with the dreams you've had and cases you've worked. Oh yeah. Um, there's, I think if the, the bigger the case is, I think the more, the more meaningful and impactful it is on my life, the more I have a dream about it. Um, you know, there's a, a really great example of this is, you know, one of the things that, that my wife and I do for a living is we run a traveling paranormal and occult museum. 
and it's full of all kinds of weird stuff, you know, stuff that was given to us during investigations, things that other investigators have given to us for safekeeping, uh, and just items of, of historical and supernatural significance. And one of the items that we were given was uh, like 200 so at least year old Kisi figure from the central Congo. And we didn't realize for the first like year and a half we had him that, and you'll notice I'm already calling it he, um, we didn't realize that what a Kisi figure was. We always tried to figure out, you know, where the statue came from, what it was, you know, what it was meant to do. And we would have, uh, I say we, it was usually me because Dana wouldn't handle the statue. I would have a lot of really intense dreams. Um, they were always dreams at first where I was in a, a building that had to do with travel. So it was like a plane, like a, an airport, a bus station, a train depot. And I would see this little man. I would get the feeling I'm being stared at. And I would see this little man, maybe three feet tall, Ooh. totally jet black skin uh, and bright blue eyes. Ooh. And he was, he was covered in a burlap shawl. And then that was what made me know who it was because this statue was found bound in a burlap bag. We kept it in the burlap bag. Uh, and so I was like, oh God, it's the statue. And we, he, there was never any communication other than this intense staring contest. And I always got that impression, okay, we see each other. You see me and I see you. And it happened over and over and over almost every time I would hold this statue. Um, to the point where it was, it was slightly distressing because I didn't really know what to make of it. And uh, other people who would hold the statue would have strange dreams. Uh, typically, they were. it was interesting because now, in retrospect, I can see probably why they were having the dreams they were having. Um, a lot of them were bad dreams, dreams of disasters. Uh, mm -hmm. They would see themselves in accidents and things like that. But as, as we moved on with the investigation, we found out what this statue was. This Kisi figure is what the Congo, the you know, Congolese people would use to speak to their ancestors and the spirits of the sky and the land and their gods. And they were revered. They were their, their physical connection to the spiritual realm. And in fact, they were known to speak in dreams to their mm -hmm. keepers. <laughs> <laughs> and then after I had that realization, the dreams changed and they became, you know, even in the dreams, um, the entity wasn't a three foot man anymore. He was a very tall, regal African man. Mm -hmm. And he started to speak to me and he would say things and he would basically say, I would be getting advice from him where he would say, uh, you know, you shouldn't trust this person. You know, you should maybe do a little more work in this area. You should do this. Uh, I would stay away from that, that type of thing. And um, now I just trust them. When yes. those types of dreams happen, I just listen because uh, I know that there's some wisdom there. Yes, that's incredible. The start of that, you know, of course, it's hard to deny the connection between Karen Black's trilogy of terror, the one. <laughs> right. <that's you>. Exactly. <laughs> yes. yes <laughs> for Just, sure. There was a, um, there was a shout out to that. No, Carrie Ann Jerry. There was a shout out to that trilogy of terror statue in the second season of Sabrina that just came out on Netflix. Oh really? Oh, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I gotta oh, check it out. Mm -hmm. That I one think, affected me as a kid. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> it was, and I was always so drawn. I, as a matter of fact, I was Mandela affected with the fact that Karen Black is dead. 
I was like, when did Karen oh, die? Yeah. I, I still can't believe that, man. What an amazing woman. Yeah. Uh, so, but this, this, this is an incredible experience. And I love that you had the full, that you were able to see that this was a veneer, uh, a revered God essentially and that had ancestral worship to it and how that actually the visualization of it changed mm -hmm. and that it's a, the sacred energy that people put in into it because energy is sticky right we for sure imbue things for sure. with it i mean i think that's really what most hauntings are i think they are are just some sort of a residual energy and in a lot of times those are, have a sentience to them uh, and, and most, I, I think most people who come at things from like a ghost hunter's perspective, people that, that we deal with a lot, they have a hard time understanding that and that even their, their emotions and their intentions that they attach to, to objects and places can sometimes stay. They can stick around, which is why a big part of what we try and do with the museum is there's, there's a very funny sort of backdoor lesson to the museum because we will show up at an event and we've got this 10 by 10 tent and it's filled with things that are haunted and, and, and allegedly cursed and all that type of thing. So people are scared and there's a lot of peer pressure, but then we're able to tell the stories of things like this idol and show people why they have these experiences they're having with these things. And, and it makes them think differently about hauntings in general. Um, you know, one of the things that we're always talking about is people say, how does it feel to own objects like this? And we're quick to correct them and say, we don't own them. We're caretakers of them. Yes. If you yeah. believe that any object or place contains any kind of an intelligence attached to it to do what a lot of people want to do, to put it in a ring of salt and stick it on a, on a shelf and then not understand it, not ask it questions. <laughs> worse, at, try and ask it to do tricks for you. That's a terrible thing. Yes, I agree. And, and, it, and it really, uh, kind of makes you a bad person. So we're, that's kind of the message that we try to send with the museum is, is think differently, think with curiosity over fear, because the more afraid you are, even in, even in times when you're having dreams of a little man staring at you, uh, if you push through that, you'll learn a lot more. Yeah, and that's a great lesson. And again, this kind of ties into how we open the show with Hellier and g giving... Uh, widening the angle in which people are experiencing this kind of idea, these thought forms, this phenomena mm -hmm. is important because of the, the spell we're under from the mill that is Hollywood and pop culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, I mean, I live in an Adams family house. I've been a collector of antiques my whole life. I dealt them for years and years. Sure. And it's, it's just so funny that, you know, nothing's in the salt circle here. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so hilarious. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've had people come in and step right out. Like, just oh, for sure. So afraid. Not even wanting to come up the steps. For it, sure. So it, it's interesting how, how superstition plays into all of this. Well, and, and I think that, I think people do also, they, they can get a sense for, the other there's something else going on they get near a place that has something going on to it there's some sort of an energy from it and i think our initial reaction is to run away from things that we don't understand because they're scary and there's a lot of, of places that do that and a lot of places that are haunted places are like that 
Um, but what's really interesting to me is how their feelings change when you explain to them why that place probably feels that way. Mm -hmm. And a big reason things feel that way is because people project that fear. <laughs> so that fear, instead of curiosity, they project it on a place and then all of a sudden it's even scarier. It's 10 times scarier than it was before for the next person that comes along. I think that's how a lot of the worst, you know, quote unquote, worst hauntings happen is, is just focused intention, focused fear. Right. Well, the energy is building up. Sorry, Jer. Imagine what, uh, like those haunted houses, the, the, the nomadic ones that come around at uh, Halloween, what kind oh, yeah. of, yeah, what they do to the landscape. Listen to this. Literally, next month, the event that Dane and I are doing, we're going to a building uh, that is massively haunted. Uh, either the reports talk about how scary it is. Well, guess what? It's an in-operation haunted attraction because people are just filling it with fear constantly. Um, we just got done doing an event at the Queen Mary out in California. Yes, yeah. And they just opened uh, B340, which was the haunted room. It was the room that was the <laughs> room on the ship. And, and for the longest time, it had been sealed up. And you could kind of look through a little window and see there was just a chair and tore everything out. And so you'd hear these stories about, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I went there and I saw a faucet turn on and off and there were ghosts in the mirror and things like that. And so we had the room, like we were leading investigations in this room for two nights. So we spent like a total of 15 hours in the room. And you walk in and the energy's oppressive in there. You know, there's, it felt really bad. Um, Dana could barely sit in the room. But the interesting thing about it is people forgot the real story of B340. There are all these crazy stories and, you know, they've really capitalized on it now because they've done a great job with the room. It's the most modern room on the ship. But there's like instructions on the wall how to play bloody mary uh things like <laughs> next to the bathroom mirror stuff like that so you know they, there's a there's a ouija board on the table and a crystal ball um, um and so they've done a great job with it but what people forget is that it was like back in the 80s disney owned the queen mary and they tried to do kind of a portable version like a small version of the haunted mansion and that room was rigged up with <laughs> animatronics <laughs> and the faucets would turn on and off by themselves and ghosts would appear in the mirror and they had the old peppers ghost effect and things like that but as disney realized it wasn't going to be beneficial like they weren't making a ton of money they sold the queen mary and they stripped the room uh, because they had all this proprietary information so in effect the room was sealed up because of the ghost <laughs> but it wasn't in the way everyone remembers and now the room is haunted yes Strange. <laughs> Well, this this is one yeah, of the adding things. Disney to anything haunts an item, I think. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, sure, well, sure. Is the Great Mill, the, this yes. the Great Magical Mill. Yes, but adding just just the idea of of that actually lost that train of thought. So I want to know about your encounters in the dream world with lucidity do you have memories of having lucid dreams um i i've had them but very few of them and even then it's mostly just like lucid long enough to be excited about it <laughs> and then you snap back out of it it's something yes. i've i've always wanted to to foster but uh i've just never put the effort into so when you say that so you realize, wow, I'm dreaming, right? Yes. Yeah, and for sure. Is that usually the pivotal point where the moment you realize you're dreaming, you snap out? Yes, because I think there's that innate, there's that innate sense in me that like, oh, I should wake up. 
<laughs> I'm, this isn't this isn't real. I need to go back to the real world, you know. Uh, and so that always that excitement automatically makes me wake up. So I've I've experienced it, but only in very small increments. Yes, and also within kind of that vein in in dream kind of in dream mobility. Have you had dreams where you were flying or? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. What what are your flying dreams like? Like how do you fly in your dreams? Um, typically just just like arms to my side, you know, just kind of floating uh plank style, just just zipping through. Sometimes there's dreams where I'm running really fast and I start to I start to leave the ground and then I'm kind of just floating. I don't have to run anymore. Um, but I'm never like flapping my wings or doing the Superman. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, everyone's different with it. Do you, and what's the general sensation? Like, how do you feel about it when it's happening? Oh, euphoric. Like, it's the yeah. best feeling in the world. And yeah. wishing that was something that, you know, like, it, always that feeling, like, why haven't I always done this? <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know? It, it is so great. Yeah. And so, it, yeah, in this too, in in the dreams, I'm curious about your experience of, encountering others so this could be other uh, this could be anything so from the dead that you've known in this life including the animals you've known mm -hmm. to, to dream characters that don't seem like they're part of you they're pushing back they might seem autonomous in some some way i don't see a lot of uh, of dead that i that i know in dreams um i've i i don't really see a lot of dead or a lot of dead celebrities um it's really interesting i i've not had to deal with a lot of that in my family yet uh, my family's all a, a, a pretty young family so um yeah i i don't see a lot of that but i do experience a lot of the autonomous uh entities um that happens uh more often uh more often than i give it credit for i think uh and they're very much um they're not people they weren't ever people um you know they're they they don't, they don't strike me as animals they strike me as other intelligences and uh you know the 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 figure in the kisi um mm -hmm. we call him billy because he's an idol <laughs> so, <laughs> so billy the most often and sometimes there's there's others with him um, You've never asked him his name. We have, yeah. Mm -hmm. He'll he won't tell us what his name is. Um, yeah, that's a big deal in the occult, as you for know. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you know, we it's it's the funniest thing too because we'll do like little sessions, um, like even EVP sessions, and I mean they're straight up sentences. You know, he's he he calls friends of ours assholes and things like that. And that took a while to get to that point, but the question that everyone asks all the time is, "What's your name? What's your real name? What's your real name?" But mm -hmm. there's there's never an answer. It's the point now where he says things like "all." It's a Mandela, isn't it? It's a Mandela effect statue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who no, knows? I'm joking. No. <laughs> I I mean maybe he has said our name. He has said the name, and we don't remember. I, there's a lot of that kind of weird thing going mm. on too. I feel like a lot of my memories have changed in the last few years. <laughs> Join the club, dude. <laughs> whether that's a result that? of getting older or not i don't know well could you elaborate on what you mean when you say that my memories have changed mm -hmm. um i've noticed and a lot of my friends have noticed that since we started dabbling in the hellier stuff um 
we've had memory problems. Uh, we've noticed places that we've gone to investigate have memory problems. There's a little bit of this. We don't touch on it very deeply. There's a lot of things in the, in the, the series that we don't really, we don't give a lot of attention to, but are there for those watching. And that's one of them. There's a lot of people you'll notice that we interview them and they'll say, no, nothing weird's ever happened around here. And, they and then kind they of, come up, yes. Yes, it's like 15 minutes it takes to kind of jog their memories. And they're like, oh, yeah, there was that UFO the size of a football field that hovered over our town. Yes. You know, yeah. weird stuff like that. We've noticed that happening more and more. And then we, we, some of us have memories that uh, never happen. Or some of us have, you know, some of us will go, why don't I remember this really simple thing? Or um, confusing memories with dreams. Did for I, sure did i dream yeah, absolutely that or, yeah. absolutely mm -hmm. there's a lot of that but there's that dream like haze right. that seems to surround that whole case uh and things tangentially related to that case so in 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 this in this idea of dreams versus memories and what what's real it has that changed the way is it how is that affecting the idea of dreaming for you? I think I take more stock in my dreams now. I pay a little more attention than I used to to my dreams. Um, you know, I, I, I typically don't share my dreams when I have them. I, I keep them to myself. I think there's a power in dreams in a lot, a lot of ways. You know, the, my wife is particularly really good at, at going, well, I can tell you what I think that means. Uh, so she's, she's the person that I share them with when I have them. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I listen more, I listen more and I pay more attention. I do a lot more jotting down than I used to when I have something that feels important. Do you feel like in, in your life of dreamings that you do recall and the ones that you've brought forward that you've gotten significant information that you needed like maybe you learned something or it pointed you in a direction you need to go oh 100 percent. yeah absolutely um i see them i see them more now uh sometimes as sign posts uh mm -hmm. where they're where they're telling me i don't i don't necessarily see them as prophetic a lot of the time but i see them as like hey heads up maybe you should pay a little attention to what's going to happen to you today or maybe this person that showed up in this dream uh, you need to pay attention to your relationship with that person. Um, so yeah, I use them more as signposts now than I ever used to. How about your dreams influencing your work or vice versa? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of moments where I'll have a dream about something and I'll sit up. Oh, well, here's a great, here's a perfect example of that. Um, talking about the dreams with Billy, whoever he is. Uh, there was one time when he, <laughs> So this is a dream that I don't really talk about. I've I never really talked about this much, but um, there have been a series of dreams where there have been very specific instructions about things. And sometimes they, they come in a more symbolic way. And sometimes they're, I mean, they're pretty well laid out. And one of the last really big impactful ones I had, we've been working on this thing for like five years that we call the initiative. And it's a, a tool slash process for paranormal investigation. It's much different than like, it's not like, you know, blinking lights and, you know, it detects magnetism and stuff like that. Um, much further into the realm of parapsychology than this. 
and 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 I mean, frankly, I think when, I think when we finally debut it, people are going to be like, "These idiots came up with this stupid thing. How in the world did they do?" Um, and we got to a point uh, about a year and a half ago where we thought it was done. We thought it was complete, and we were really happy about it. And it was that night that Billy came to me in a dream, and he said, "The work is not yet complete." And immediately, I knew. <laughs> I was like, oh, shoot, <laughs> he's talking about the initiative. He said, the work's not yet complete. And then he told me to build a chair, carve the symbols, and dedicate it to the neighbor. And I woke up, and I immediately sketched out the chair that was in my dream. And I, I tried my hardest to remember the symbols that were shown to me, and I could not remember them for the life of me. I was, I was doing my best, and I remember even just saying out loud, like, Billy, how in the world am I going to remember this? And I went into my office, got out of bed, and I walked into the office, and a book had fallen out of my bookshelf right here, actually, where I'm doing the show. It had fallen out of my bookshelf, and it was splayed open. And on those two pages were the symbols that were in my dream. And so awesome. I built the chair, carved the symbols, dedicated the seat, and now it's part of the initiative. That gave me the chills. That's remarkable. <laughs> that is so incredible. What a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they literally influence my work. Do you do anything? You know those those figures get fed and all that. Do you feed Jimmy at all? Uh all the time. Um Billy. there's a there's a <laughs> Billy. There's a massive uh altar in our living room. And um, you know, it was a thing he that came forth is Jimmy to me, just saying. Well, maybe that's his maybe that's his <laughs> real name. He doesn't want that's what he didn't want me to know. He's dying. Yeah, we Regular like rum and tobacco, and sometimes yes. it feels like there's something else that he wants. And it's it's yes. it's crazy because we travel with him, and and the the offering started before we knew what he was. People just started giving him things. Yes, and um, you know now there's just an overflowing table of things that are personal to him. I mean, someone last year uh, held him and started crying, and then came back the next day. And told us that Billy had appeared in his dream or her dream and said, it's time to get rid of it. And she was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, come with me. And then he, he took her to a field and she saw her dead mother coming to her through the field. Oh, wow. And her mother said, you know what it is. It's your father's wedding ring. And it's, she's like, it's on the sink. And she brought the wedding ring in and gave it to Billy and said, thanks. I can finally let it go. So he has oh, a wedding wow. ring around his neck now. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what a gift that you have in having him, him around you. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you, you read the Dresden Files or saw the show. I, I've seen one episode of the show. And it's one of those ones I've always wanted to try it, but I never have. He has a spirited skull and spirited skull called Bob. Oh, no He's, kidding. Yeah, and this figure called Bob pops out and is his mentor and whatnot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a I mean it's a common thing and and as we started to learn about Kesey figures and mm -hmm. and how they were activated and what they you know what they were for. Yeah, um, I was looking online to see where I could buy one. Yeah. <laughs> I found a whole bunch yeah. on Etsy. There's, there's tons and 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 the really sad thing and, and the the great teachable lesson about Billy's story in particular is he was very scary to a lot of people when he first showed up. I mean, he was scary to us, but we pushed through that and other people, you know, by proxy pushed through that. And now we know enough about him to know 
you know, his, his, uh, that culture was decimated by Christian missionaries who came to the area and they didn't even have a word for holy to translate it to. So they had to use the word Kisi because it was the closest thing they had. And they decimated that, that belief system. And they took these Kisi figures and the ones that they didn't burn and destroy, they took home as trophies, which is probably how he ended up in a pile. Yeah. How did your neighbor like that chair, by the way? Oh Lord, our neighbors, they, they already, they've seen us carry like coffins into the house in the middle of the night (laughs) like on the porch carving weird stuff or like, there was one really funny moment where I, Dana has a monthly like witchcraft subscription box where it's like, it's just actually teaching people how to do ritual. And one of the months was scrying. And so I help with a lot of them and I had like, I had like 50 scrying mirrors I was creating out on the front porch, getting them all painted up. And our neighbors who were these like super broy dudes walked over and they were like, what are you doing, man? I was like, Oh, I'm making scrying mirrors. And the guy's like, wow, scrying mirrors. What, uh, what is that? And I was like, well, it's a way to, you know, commune with the spirit world. Why do you need 50 of them? Oh, my wife's got a witchcraft, <laughs> witchcraft club. And he was like, cool, 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 man. Well, see you later. <laughs> so excellent. <laughs> That's the uh, magic of the month club, right? It uh, is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll drop a link into uh, That's awesome. places. <laughs> that is great. That's seriously great. It's in, in your dreams, have you had anything that you would consider dreaming true? Like, so you, you kind of mentioned this earlier that there wasn't really, but ha- I just have to ask again, because sometimes with that phenomena of thinking you can, you know, you forget you remember that kind of stuff. Has there been anything that played out from your dreams that you could pinpoint to a dream in your life? I want to say yes, because uh, I think that a lot of the deja vus that I experience have come from dreams. Like they have that weird dreamlike quality to them. Um, I'm trying to think of a really specific one. And it's funny because uh, if I asked Dana, I'm sure she could tell me because she's the one I tell all my dreams to. Um, but I can't think of a specific dream that has played out uh, exactly, as, exactly as I dreamed it. I mean, well, on, on, on deja vu, let's talk about that for a second. What do you think's going on with the deja vu? Um, these days, I more believe that the, the deja vu is, uh, again, another one of those type of signpost things where it's like a, a reminder of a big moment, like something's going to happen. That's the first thing I say. I'll, I'll t- I'm usually with Dana, and I'll turn and I'll look at her, I'll be like, okay, something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Generally, something fairly significant does even if we don't realize it at the time uh so whenever i experience one i'm i'm more fully in the moment than i was before and i try and stay that way until i realize what's going on yeah i try to push into them so much i love the feeling oh me too absolutely uh, like the, it's like the feeling of like uh re rediscovering a lost memory almost yeah, I mean, it's really one of the most mystical experiences, especially if you can try and hold on to it and unlock where it's from. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because like even just talking about this is giving me that feeling, that deja vu feeling. So maybe this is a deja vu. Maybe I should be <laughs> It could be, could all be. So let's, let's look at some of the, your ideas around 
the dreamscape and dreaming. So actually, a little bit before we get to that, the architecture of the dream world, so in, especially in the reoccurring dreams you've had, how often does it shift? So it's the, the house always the same house and somehow it's always different, that kind of thing. Uh, the, specifically the ones when I was young, um, those didn't shift so much as I just, they just became more expansive. Like, like I would, I would notice more things about the swamp. I would notice more things about the house. I, I think they were things that were always there, but it was just revisiting that place. I was able to take in more details that never changed. Um, I mean, between that and Billy, those are the two biggest examples I can think of. The Billy ones, they, they shift and they change. And they've shifted and changed as I've learned more about him and I've learned more about uh, his story. Those just seem like even him physically changing come, be, you know, from being this small thing that was really scary to this thing that I was in, you know, this, this person that I was in awe of. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really specific change and shift. And even yes. the place, like the other interesting thing is now when I see him or, or when I have seen him in these dreams, it's not in a place being stationary that has to do with travel. We are literally traveling when I see him in a dream. So it's gone from being like waiting to travel, being in stasis in an airport to now you know, we're hiking up a mountain and I can see the path behind me. This you know, that stretches oh, wow. miles. I can see where it's gone. Yes. So that's a big change. So in that, for that, that, for example, where you're traveling with him now, is there, is it, is your perspective usually looking back at where you've been or is there also, are you able to look forward? Um, so a really specific example uh, I can give you is there was a moment where we had just come back from like a paranormal themed cruise. And we couldn't take Billy with us. We, we get nervous about taking him over international lines because he has ivory. His eyes and his uh, symbols all over him are made out of ivory. Yes, plus and the, that kind of artwork also gets snubbed. Absolutely. And so we, we, <laughs> we're very protective and uh, very nervous. We don't have any traveling papers for our haunted idol. So we <laughs> leave him behind when we do those things. So we typically will leave him with somebody that we trust because we want, you know, we want him to get offerings and things like that. So we left him with a, a friend of ours and they spent like a week together. And then we, when we got back, we realized, I mean, we just, this overwhelming feeling of, of not only missing him, but the feeling that he was happy to be back. And so as strange, I mean, it sounds super nuts to anybody who's not really terribly well initiated in this stuff. So I realized how this comes across. I always make me feel silly and I talk about it. Um, but we, we put him between the, in like on the console of the, the car and we drove with him sitting there and we pulled over because I was really tired. We were trying to make it home, pulled over in this gas station to just get like an hour of, you know, sleep of the damned kind of thing. And we slept for seven hours. I've never slept like that in a car before. I was in the, we were in the front seat and the passenger seat because our car's always loaded with artifacts. And I slept for seven hours, the deepest sleep ever, and had one of the most vivid dreams with him in it. And in it, we were hiking a path. And there were maybe seven or eight people with me that I recognized. I knew who they were. And I could see where we had come from. 
and it was like there was like specific intention to show how far we'd gone because I, I we were up on this high mountain top and I could see down in the valley where we'd come from. And as I looked ahead, I could see there was a very dark forest coming and I couldn't see very far ahead of us. And that's when Billy spoke, like actually spoke to me for the first time in a dream because it'd been all like signs and symbols until that point. And he turned and he said, um, he said, quiet yourself. Uh, do not speak. Those who speak too much are eaten by the wolves. He pointed down to the ground, and there was uh, a fairly well-known person, personality in the paranormal community who was being eaten by a wolf. And uh, it shook me because I completely understood the message. I, it, it related to everything that was going on in our life and things that were coming up. And uh, I kind of got, I clammed up. I clammed up about things we were working on. I was very cautious about people we brought into our circle after that. Um, but it wasn't so much. There was a lot of attention put on where we had come from and even more attention put on where we were going. But with the caveat of be very careful because now it's going to get treacherous. That's incredible. And it's also, uh, there's just so many levels of, how incredible that is first of all that's solid wisdom in general especially mm -hmm. with with any kind of magical working it, it it's a you know it's well known to keep keep things close to your vest sure however you had this dream earlier that was so intriguing with the the floating guy also audio stuff and you're giving me a lot of audio stuff where you get words from these entities yeah yeah i mean the 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 words it was a really striking thing because not only was it the first time that i actually heard billy say something like actually in a dream because i had lots of dreams with him in them it was the first time he actually spoke mm -hmm. and it was the that was actually the first time that he appeared as this very tall regal uh, african man but he had bright he still had bright blue eyes and he was wearing a, a burlap cloak and um had a big walking stick and uh, almost kind of looked like the hermit in the hermit yeah. tarot card. And um, it, was, it was super impactful because, again, like I said, I, I typically don't get a lot of audio in my dreams. That's not something that happens to me a lot. You get more than a lot of people. I've been listening to dreams my whole life, and some people never get a, a spoken word. Huh. Really, maybe I truly. just did, I just maybe I didn't have context, I guess. And you, I mean, you're getting these clear sentences that are not just sentences, but really amazingly potent sentences. Well, those, and though, again, I have to, I have to point out, I, I, they're not regular dreams. Those are ones that are dictated almost specifically by whoever this entity is. Um, they're the only ones where I really get these, these full sentences. Mm -hmm. that are, and, and, and I think it's, I never wake up and go, Oh, that was weird. It's always I wake up, I write it down, and I take note of everything that happened. Um, but even then, they don't have that typical dream thing where they just go away. Like I just forget. Yes, them. They, yes. they stick with me very, very vivid. Unlike most dreams that I have. When Billy speaks, does he have an accent? What, how? What's he? Has he come across? Um, very. Yeah, like a, a, a. I mean, it's a. Sounds like a Central African, like Congolese accent. Congolese, very, yeah. very low. 
Mm -hmm. um, very low tones. He, it's, it's kind of funny. He, he looked almost like Obama when mm -hmm. I saw him in the, in the dream where he was uh, much taller. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, very low, but still has this weird unearthly element to it. Almost, almost slowed down a bit unnaturally. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like, I, I, there wasn't a doubt in my mind, like, oh, this is an African voice. This is a voice of someone with an African accent. Yeah. So, and then in the, in these mechanical, the mechanical aspects of dreaming, what about things like, what about sleep paralysis? I have only experienced sleep paralysis once. Uh, this was when I had just moved to Seattle. Um, I, was going through a really stressful time in my life is probably one of the hardest times of my whole life. Um, very much like brand, like, like new adults striking out on my own, learning how cruel the world really is kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember waking up. This is another, this is another one uh, that stuck with me for a really long time. I woke up and I could, I was in my ex-girlfriend's room. We were sleeping. I was sleeping on the floor and I saw what looked like a, I mean, it looked like a gray alien type entity and it was standing in the corner of the room. And I noticed, you know, as my vision got better, there were two more of them sitting behind him, kind of crouched over standing behind him. And I, the detail that I remember so vividly, so clearly is that I could see the light breaking, um, between the legs of these, these entities, whatever they were. And I couldn't move. I couldn't move at all. And, um, I heard, and I always, there, it, it's, I've tried to figure out what this has meant for a decade, at least now. Um, there was what sounded like a hundred different voices of different tones, pitches, uh, and, and, and audio levels saying what sounded like no buck. I, I don't know if I was not hearing it properly or what, but that's what it sounded like. And it just said it over and over and over and over again. And I was trying to just move my jaw. I was trying to move because I was stuck and I was so scared, so unbelievably scared. And I said, uh, I finally was able to move my jaw and it just kind of slurred like, okay, no buck. I, I get it. Whatever. Uh, I understand. I didn't understand, but I said I understood because I wanted to stop. And um, then they were gone. They just kind of like slunk back into the shadows and were gone. But the weird part about this was I never went back to sleep. So either it was like a dream that was still kind of lingering, you know, there's that, that old hag effect when you have a dream with sleep paralysis. Um, I never went back to sleep. So to this day, I still remember that entire experience as real, even though I know it was, or at least I think it was a dream. So. That's, that's impressive too. It, it, so, and in the vein of this, have you experienced this kind of the tilting in and out of your body where you're or elongating it, this is in that kind oh, yeah. of liminal state 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're almost, you're vibrating, right? You like vibrate and then it feels like you're leaving your body almost. Yes, or, or rotating yeah. or getting longer or smaller or dropping yeah. down. Yeah. How often does that happen? Um, I can only, um, maybe a handful of times. Um, the most vivid was when Dane and I were living in Canada. And uh, I mean, it, there wasn't anything crazy going on. Dana was watching TV and I was in the bed and I remember, I remember feeling that vibration kind of come in pulses over and over. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I know, I was looking down on my body and her watching TV. And I remember bumping the ceiling. And when I bumped the ceiling, my entire body <laughs> vibrated. It went, woof, and, it, yes. and that's what made me wake up. And that's the only time that I rarely ever felt that sensation that it feels like I left my body. That's it. Um, but I have felt that vibrational thing. And I think because of how wigged I was, I always go, no, <laughs> and I stop. Did it. So the one where you hit the ceiling, what mm -hmm. was your, what were your feelings afterwards? Actually, like just during the experience, just around the whole experience, what were your, did you have fear involved? Well, it's, it's weird because I didn't feel any fear and it felt totally normal when I was doing it. Like, like it felt like, oh, wow, this is cool. And the minute that I bumped the ceiling and, and I felt those vibrations was when I was like, Some, okay, this, this something's not right here. And I just kind of like whoop, was back. And then it was really freaky. When I kind of came to, when I woke up and I, I looked at Dana and I was like, dude, I just left my body. I, I don't know any other way to explain this. That's when it was a little bit more, more interesting and, and a little frightening because I, I didn't know what was going to happen there. I never, that never happened again after that. And I don't know if it's just cause I've never let it happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It, it's funny when the, the thinking mind engages in the process, that's where, <laughs> right. cause it where? felt totally normal. It felt like it was like, Oh, this is great. Yes. Uh, then once I started to rationalize it, when I woke up was when it became a, a freaky. Thing. Yes. Yeah, it's funny how that happens. And, we, and of course, we could apply this to everything, especially anything paranormal. It's like once you start engaging that process, it, we start overlaying it with all kinds of stuff, superstitions, fears, you sure. know. Uh, okay, so and in all this, what... <laughs> wow, she's stumped. <laughs> no, no, no. I have, you know, I find like uh, this has been a night of messy notes. Uh, my notes are generally messy and these are messier than usual. I'm the same way. You can ask, you can ask Carl <laughs> when he's trying to put together, you know, stuff like for Hellier of season two. He is super frustrated with me because I'm a terrible note taker filer. <laughs> yeah, we'll hassle like, him about it when he comes on the show. There, Yes, please do. Yeah. Oh, yes. Cool. <laughs> What, so I'm curious now. I just want to get into a little woo-woo, if you don't mind. Uh, let's go. Hit me. We love the woo-woo. So with all this in mind and with the nature of dreaming and memory and all that being such shaky ground as far as what's tangible, what's not outside of this apparent nowness, where, where does all of this, I want to take it to the ET level right now sure. the, the extraterrestrial or the biological extra entities or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. uh where does all that fit in with reality as we experience it i mean 
the the only way I can think to describe the way that I see reality these days, I feel like we're it just feels like we're we're in a VR headset somewhere else, kind of like the Matrix, you know, where yeah. what we're experiencing now is a very temporary thing. I think one of the most interesting ways I've I've heard it put is that we're actually in the dream now, you know, and we're gonna wake up and then we're gonna be in the state we're normally supposed to be in. Um, so I, I, I like to feel like a lot of dreams are the the reality unfiltered, you know, the, the one thing we forget is that the human mind is like 85%, um, in inhibitory, it's keeping stimulus away from us. So we don't go insane. Um, and I think that when we're in that dream state, a lot of that stuff is able to come through unfiltered. Uh, what it what it means? I don't know. I think that there's always this part of us that's that's subconsciously receiving messages, whether that's a psychic thing, whether that's just a you know mass consciousness type of deal. I think we're always getting signals and messages, um, but it, those are they're being filtered out for the sake of our sanity. So as we as we sleep, as we dream, we get that type of thing unfiltered, and sometimes that's why it doesn't make sense because you know the subconscious thinks in abstracts. So when you get a direct line to that, it's like, you know, I see people in the chat room talking about Lynch and I think he's a great example of that because I think that, you know, when you watch something that, that David Lynch has done, it doesn't make sense to you, but you understand the feeling. And I think that's the, that's like the dreamscape. I think he's really good at those dreamscapes. So I think that's why it's so hard for us to explain a dream to somebody else and let them know how it made us feel. Um, because we, we innately understand what those symbols mean somewhere on a subconscious level. So I think that's what's going on with, with dreams is we're tapped into whatever source is there. So with the idea of dimensionality, however you push that out into, it could be linear, you know, fourth dimension, fifth dimension, we could go into a lot of different, ideas of that i'm looking specifically for other other beings and um like so aliens what are your thoughts on aliens (laughs) i more more now than ever you know when i was a kid i used to just think oh they're they're strange super intelligent creatures from outer space I don't think that anymore. I think they're from here, probably from another place, maybe right next to where we are. I don't think they can operate in this space. Again, I think there's that idea that we really are somewhere else, I think in a, in a non-physical way. Our, our, our actual consciousness, our soul, whatever you want, exists somewhere else. And we're just here, uh, plugged into something for whatever reason. You Choose your own adventure there. I don't know. And I think that probably, you know, aliens, as we, as we want to call them, extraterrestrials, whatever, they probably exist on that other place, in that other plane. And, um, you know, one of the thoughts I've always had about these things is when you, when you read these stories about gray aliens, they always sound quite like they're the same thing and they don't feel like, you know, they don't have any, they don't have any sex organs. They don't seem to have anything they don't need. And it almost feels like they're just some kind of a biological robot. So mm-hmm. they can they can operate in this plane. But then again, what are we? You yes, know? we're DNA skin suits. Exactly. Th- that idea that they're they're androids is very popular in the in the ETH crowd. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, the slaves of the reptilians. Oh yes, the worker bees or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I if I quite. I don't know if that's quite where my beliefs are. I think it's just more. It's easier to operate in whatever whatever reality or dimension we're in because I think I think most things just aren't deep down. They're not physical creatures. They're not physical entities. I think we're all spiritual beings, from animals to to ghosts to whatever. Um, well, technically, there is no physicality here. You don't touch things. It, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's all electricity. It's just all an illusion. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. So yeah, I, I'm. That's where I'm at too. So. <laughs> yeah, I think we can we can all toast to that. And you totally need to read Josh Kuchin's book, uh, A Trojan Beast, or even the new. I one. have it. Yes. Yes, yeah, I yeah. have it. Yeah. Did that's one that? that I keep. I keep going back to. It's one of those ones that's like I read a chunk of it here, a chunk mm-hmm. of it there, because I'll see it on the shelf and I'll be like, okay, what's next? Yeah, it's a good book. What do you think about, what are your thoughts on time? I don't think time really exists. I think it exists for us and our bodies. But uh, even then, I think, you know, there's plenty of, I think everyone has these weird instances where they realize time really isn't as it seems. I think, uh, you know, I think the idea of linear time is, again, another one of those weird things that we're just programmed for so we don't go nuts, you know? What about, what about the idea of time looping or circular? time that's one you know i i uh i have eric wargo's book and uh i just haven't cracked it yet it's been one i've been really interested in reading but um the idea of you know time loops and circular time i think it's fascinating but i don't know really enough about it to to give an opinion yet it's it's interesting it's interesting to encounter people that dream with that within that uh within that construct. So, and then, you know, there's this, there's, I hear a lot of people that, that describe that phenomena and without understanding, you know, his concept of it or the, 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 uh, the theories he's putting forth that seem to have a lot of reoccurring dreams is something I noticed. Huh. Well, I mean, there's that, I think it's a Sakil quote where he said, if you could stare off into the vast distances of space, you'd eventually see the back of your own head. Yes. You know, Indeed. so everything, you know, it seems like everything's built in a loop and cycles. It seems to most the, easily the most efficient way to do things, I would say. Well, he puts forth that everything's already done too. So what do you think mm-hmm. about the idea of forming reality? Oh, I, I think I think we're constantly forming reality. I think uh, you know the, the the idea that everything's already done. I mean, if you don't believe in linear time, it, I mean, it has to be right. But I think we can change that. I think that I think you know I'm really big into the idea of like um, you know retro causality and the idea that the things you do now ripple both forward and backwards. And so I think. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the idea that we're having memory problems sometimes because of things that we're doing in the Hellier case, you know, I think that's part of that. I think that, uh, I think it changes. I think it goes both ways. And so, and so on that, what do you think about the idea that that's also being put forth that we're already dead? I mean, we're, we are somewhere. There's a lot of people who experience their own ghost. 
you know, there's, there's people that have encounters with uh, ghosts of living people. So I think, you know, it, somewhere at some point we're already dead. Um, you know, and even then it's all semantics. What is dead really? We're probably, you know what I mean? Like wherever it is that we, we go when we die, you know, if whether that's here or some other plane or whatever, you know, maybe again, this is the dream. Maybe this is the go to the inner earth. Probably. I, there you go. Maybe I, I've had dreams where I'm a spirit guide. So that's kind of like the reverse take on seeing ghosts. Oh, too. that's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. It was really well, interesting. Maybe you, maybe you really are somewhere else. That's what you're doing. That's well, your actual day job. It's my night job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that kind of, when I had that dream, it made me think about things a little differently as far as what's being projected and from where and to, to whose reality, you know? But, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it all fits. It's all, you know, the swirl. Yeah. And then, and then some, just some like little strange aspects within dreaming, uh, animals. So we touched about the, on this a little bit earlier, but do you encounter them at all? Like that they stick out? Yeah. You know, I, I occasionally will see very rarely, but occasionally we'll see, um, my, uh, deceased pet, the uh, golden retriever, Gretchen, she'll show up once in a while. And it, it seems like whenever that happens, it's always kind of a like a reassurance. Things are all right. Typically, that's when I'm going through a stressful time period. Um, and then, you know, occasionally my cats, Gordon and Pete, they'll show up. And, and they're they, alive. And they're alive. Yeah. 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 As as I, I, always, I always jump with my, my dog that's just now passed. What about, so I'm looking for now water stuff within the dreamscape. Mmm, water stuff. Let me think. Um, I mean, I think obviously the biggest of that is that reoccurring dream I had when I was a kid in a in like a canoe, some kind of a boat in the swamp. That one typically don't seem to get a lot of rain in my dreams. Um, once in a while, I have a dream where I'm drowning. Uh, I have a lot of dreams where it's not the uh, it's not the um, flying dream it's the i'm i'm bogged down dream you know where you like can't move as fast as you want to or like i'm in water moving in water um but i've i've had a few dreams where i'm drowning but uh yeah that's about the only time i i can recall that coming up and when you're in the water or have you encountered beings of the water so and that could just be anything from sunfish to humanoid hmm not that i recall yeah, not that I recall. Not anything that's striking out and making a big impression on me anyway. No. No, typically when water shows up in my dreams, it's um it's it's something I don't want to be in. Which is funny. Oh, I'm a oh, I'm a water sign. <laughs> yes, a, what sign are you? I'm a Scorpio. What's if you couldn't rice? tell by my brooding disposition. <laughs> <laughs> um, you look like my, you actually look like a Scorpio. My rising, I think I'm a Gemini. That because that's I think the most important. I'm Gemini rising, also by the way. Oh, all right. Got Mercury there. Okay, so yeah, those were just those were those were just these are just basics. And then also the idea of of gateways and portals, and this kind of came through in Hellier as well. Mm -hmm. Gateways and portals. 
what are your thoughts on those? Since we've kind of laid out how you feel about time and space and the nature of reality, where does that kind of idea fit in all this? I think, hmm, I think from a, you know, like a, like, okay, so building from the ground floor, I think we, we create our own portals for one. I think we do it unconsciously. Um, I think that they, you know, even things like, you know, there've been those studies done where, you know, if you walk through a doorway, you, you sometimes just automatically forget things that you remembered in the other room, uh, which is why you know, when, we're, when we're trying to remember something, we even unconsciously go into a room where we have the memory, try and jog it. Um, I think we build our own portals. I think that we build things. Uh, I think portals are borders, whether natural or artificial. There's a lot of weird stuff when you start to dive into like paranormal investigations around bridges and borders and bodies of water. Um, I think that, you know, artificial portals, the, uh, you know, the, the chair that Billy had me build, that's literally, it's a liminal space. It's a place that's kind of half in and half out. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I hate the word portal because I think it conjures up a really science fiction-y um, it conjures up like a really science fiction-y idea. And I think that it's hard to get, you know, uh, the straights to take it seriously sometimes when you talk about it that way. But I, I think they exist and I think they're things that, um, we, we often assign them. We assign where they, where they start and where they go to ourselves. Yeah. I, I always throw gateway in front of portals. For sure. Yes. Some people are just predisposed, uh, just Jeez, Lord. <laughs> Predisposed to the idea of portal over, like, the, yes. if you say portal, then they at least understand that it's different than walking through a garden gateway. Yes. Or for through sure. a doorway. And so it, it seems like easy language a lot of times. Right. To, I, I had some interesting thoughts on portals over the weekend. <clears throat> I had a lot of interesting thoughts over the weekend. Um, what if they're more, so you, you even express this idea that everything's here, but just at different levels of something, right? So yeah. it's out of phase with us or however you want to think about it, different frequency. What if portals are nothing more than nexus points where the two frequency layers merge into a union to a, mm. you know, a smaller bubble of reality, which is it. different from both sides of those dimensional things? I love it, it. I think it's more of, I, I really think you would be, as the attractor, you'd pull it in to your space and create that space that you could go into. That would explain a lot of the missing time and the yeah. weird thoughts and the weird feelings and yada, yada. So. No, I, I love that. And that's close to the idea of, you know, window areas and, and, and you know, thin, thin areas and things like that. Liminal um, spaces. Liminal spaces. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the way that I see like portals and gateways and things like that. Um, because, you know, again, those are places where things just, you don't necessarily, it's not just you stepping into another place. There's other things stepping into our space too. Yeah. yeah that's, that's how I see that they can pull our space into theirs. Or maybe, yes. I really, the way I see it in my head is that entities on that side have energetic connections to entities on this side. I don't know how that works, but that gives them like a back door. To I can agree with that, for sure. Out, so. 
And Absolutely. I think that accounts for a lot of the experimentation, air quotes, that's going on with these abduction and these experiencers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's all in their head, but I think <clears throat> I actually heard a woman talking about this. If you're interested in this, by the way, I no, absolutely. I now, now we're yeah. <laughs> let's go. So her, her, her name is Randy Green. She's on YouTube. I'll I'll put a link in chat in a second. She describes the scenario as similar to what I described. So parallel realities that have been created by by us or by people in them. You know, there are. So say we're on this realm, right? We're doing mm-hmm. our experience thing, our reincarnation, whatever. There are multiple of those. So somehow they get in here. I don't, I don't remember that part. But the point was what? That. <laughs> oh, right. The, what they do, what, they, what she explained it is that because of this, they have this energetic connection, right? So they can get in and they got a copy of your DNA and they clone you holographically in this new reality, this other space. And your consciousness is tied to that image, that hologram. Oh, that's really, that's that's a spooky thought. And that's where you're abused. You're not abused physically here. Right. Well, I mean, that's the way that I've thought about abductions for a long time, you know, and, and we've hung out with alien abductees and we've done experiments with alien abduction. And I'm convinced that there's a mental... There's a mental thing happening that can manifest as a physical thing. Um, and I think that's that way for a lot of paranormal phenomena, not just, I mean, there's that crossover with everything. Uh, so I, I, I can dig that. I can definitely get down with, with that idea. And I mean, maybe it's not as, maybe that's the way that she sees it, but there is a truth to the idea that the more you go looking for this stuff and the more you're able to actually find it, mm-hmm. the more it seems to have a connection to you. Yeah. And that can be, you don't have to be in a haunted house for something strange to happen to you. You don't have to be in like a liminal space because you mm-hmm. start to sort of become a moving liminal space. Well, you are a magnet. And I'll quote another guy who I like on YouTube. His name's, uh, I can't remember his name, Mike something or other. He lives in England, but he's American. He says the number one rule in this universe is like attracts like. <laughs> sure, absolutely. That's it. That's all you got to remember. So, yep. If you're out looking for it, it's coming looking for you. Exactly. You gaze into the abyss. Isn't that basically the theory of spooky action at a distance? Ex- that's exactly what. Yeah, that's exactly what you just described. Having a copy, like a like they splice you and put the other part of you over there. So there's always a little. And if there's any credibility to quantum mechanics and that may be the mechanism by which it works oof (laughs) so and as you guys are talking right now oh go on jerry i I would just say randy would always add you can cause a stir and they'll let you go you know if you're if you're too uppity you're out of the program (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I believe that. But yeah, most absolutely. people are so terrified that they're like, ah, leave me alone. Well, anyway. I mean, I always think about how, you know, people are always talking about, you know, if you invoke the name of Jesus Christ during an abduction, they'll let you go. But it's mostly like, dude, I'd kick a Jehovah's Witness out of my house too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hang out with you. I, am, I would imagine. <laughs> going back to like, attract, like, you're going to attract religious icons, whatever religious yes. uh, entities towards you. So yes, yes, of course, Jesus is going to, 
Jesus is probably a badass astral entity. I wouldn't want to fuck with him. <laughs> sure, that's probably true. There's a good comic book in there, man. Oh, absolutely. And if you've seen American Gods, the last season, yeah. with the, oh, so the Astara um, party with like 39 Jesuses. Yes. Right. That's, yeah. That was so accurate to me because there yeah. are multiple versions. It's not, you know, it's... Absolutely. It's an archetype now that's splintered. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just, you know, abs- look at the different segments of Christianity. They all worship a different Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I talked to uh, David Metcalf this weekend. Yeah. He's, he's researching or he works mostly in Santa... Santa, Santa Muerte. Santa Muerte, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he just got back from Mexico, I think, if I remember correctly. So, good stuff oh, there. Good stuff. Yeah, that's cool. I all right, Nish. The idea of an, an emerging saint, I think, is awesome. Yeah, totally. Well, see, <laughs> uh, um, Dude, see, I was hoping you'd continue to follow on this thread. I'm, I'm digging this which thread. Which thread? What, where else can I go? Well, tying in all the, so Greg's work with all of this. So in the paranormal, in his work, how's it affecting his life? So the like attracts like, how's it affecting Dana and his life? your life like your third person here greg well you no know, i mean i i can speak to that a little bit it was the idea you know we we carl was actually just out here carl pfeiffer the director of hellier really good friend of ours and um you know he's been really digging into um um I, his name escapes me um the trickster in the paranormal book um george uh, hansen yeah hansen yeah. And, um, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot. It's, it's funny because it's been, like I said, again, we, we all have come from ghosts. Like that was our thing. Like Carl won ghost hunters Academy <laughs> back in the day. Like we, you know, Dana was on a show called the girly ghost hunters in Canada. We were all ghost people and we just were sort of dragged into this other world. And we've, we've, we've been moving that way because I think that anyone who's actually asking real questions eventually starts to kind of converge into one of those nexus points where they realize, oh, this is all connected. And if you, if you believe this, but you don't believe that, you're really not asking any good questions. So, you know, Hellier has just sort of, uh, it's, it's forced us to go a little bit quicker down that path. And so we've been thinking a lot about the ideas of liminality and what that means and, and you know, m- marginalization and what that means for you know the paranormal and he made a really interesting comment he's like you know you know you guys your your motto has always been one foot in and one foot out it's literally a liminal space <laughs> um true. and we run a traveling paranormal museum quite literally as liminal as you can get it travels yes. it doesn't have a stationary yes. spot we don't have children um we're on the road constantly we don't have like quote unquote real jobs uh, we are, you know, Dana's a witch. Um, we're constantly dealing with what we believe might be, you know, the other world. We literally live in a liminal space. And but you like it? Oh no, absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's yeah. it's 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 amazing. It's frustrating. It's scary. It's it's uh, enlightening. And everyone thinks we're nuts. I love it. It's great. But that said. Um, you know, there's, there's certain challenges that come with that. Um, you know, not that we'd ever, not that we'd ever want one, but it'd be very difficult to go back to doing a desk job. Um, you know, I don't know. (laughs) It's, 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 it'd be very tough to do that. And, 
um, there's always this kind of desire to try and settle down a little bit. But our fear is, and this was something that Carl brought up, is you know one of the things we've been working on is is working towards having a, a brick and mortar location. Mm-hmm. He's like, are you ready for all of your paranormal experiences to tank <laughs> the, <laughs> the minute that we stop living in a liminal space? Oh and man, I, I think he's right. I think yeah. he's right about that. Um, so there, I think we always have to maintain if we want to continue experiencing this stuff. And studying this stuff, there always needs to be a, a, a liminal aspect to our lives. You know? cool. yeah. Have you noticed, uh, or Dana noticed, an increase in your sciability since uh, Dana, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, and I think she's a little more willing to explore that space than mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a... I have a lot of my own guards up on that type of thing, and I don't typically... I have moments where it seems like, oh, that's a new sensation. <laughs> but um, she, that's more her thing. Yeah. And I've noticed it for sure. And she's noticed it for sure, uh, especially the last two, three years. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, one way you can look at your path as an initiation into something or a oh, series of, yeah. That's exactly what it's felt like, you know, in everything from even stuff with, you know, the stuff that's gone on with Billy and the stuff that's uh, gone on with Hellier. It really does feel like an initiatory thing. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people, a lot of the, the people that Hellier has resonated with have been occultists to a, to a surprising degree where we never could have anticipated that. And it's because I think they innately see what's happening while we haven't really been able to see that they've been through those types of experiences. And I think in a lot of ways for people who are paying attention, um, you know, that project is an initiation for the viewer too. Mm-hmm. But I really think we were also led to believe this on purpose. I, mean, <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, a trickster the, aspect of everything too. No, no, no. I'm talking like the Roswell incident. Oh, these type okay. of things really, it, it was the distraction that pulled everyone that way. And it's nuts and bolts forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Stan no, Friedman you're, you're today right. still, I'm sure, sure, will swear it's from outer space. Yeah. Yeah, almost to just kind of push us off the path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's not that everyone does it on purpose to push you off the path. It's just the, it's the buy-in. The, yeah. the crowd buy-in. So they got the crowd behind <laughs> this lie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, you know, uh, that's the problem we've had uh, with a certain group of viewers with Hellier is people felt like, you know, they, they spent a lot of time watching paranormal television, watching, you know, uh, paranormal documentaries. And they were like, I was promised goblins. God damn it. No spoilers <laughs> for anybody who hasn't been at Hellier yet, but um, we do not, we do not drag a dead goblin out of a cave <laughs> over our shoulders. Uh, nothing like that. So there's a lot of people who I think had a very tough time. The, the, first, the first set of complaints that started to come in, and, and it, it's, not, it's not a ton, but it's, an, it's, enough to, it's enough to be interesting, are people who got really confused when we started using like psychical experiments during Hellier because they're like, I thought these guys were hunting goblins. Why are they... Why are they hooking her up to a ghost box? You know, that type of thing. Um, but that just really goes to show 
the compartmentalization of the phenomena. You know, everybody needs to put things into a box. And a lot of that's been because of things like Roswell, where it's like, oh, it's, it was a crashed alien spacecraft from another planet um, that we reverse engineered to get Velcro or whatever. Fiber uh, optics. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, ghosts are just your dead grandma and the, and the mean ones are demons. And reincarnation's coincidences. <laughs> reincarnation's coincidence and Bigfoot is a big hairy ape that is really good at playing hide and seek. And that's that. Hide and seek champion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I have that so, shirt somewhere. <laughs> I probably have one of those too, actually, now that I think about it. Um, I think... Uh, and it's been it's been really interesting to see because not everyone is quite at that space yet where they're willing to go. Everything is connected somehow. Everything has to be easy. Well, isn't the connection between outer and inner? I mean, we know this. This is kind of weird rhetorical, but out the as above, slow below kind of thing. So outer space, inner space. This idea of everything's projected outward, which plays into the idea of the matrix period. Yeah. Right. And so it, I, I noticed a big disconnect in, in this field in particular, or in any, within any of the woo woo in people's ideas of what that is, what the difference is between the outer world, outer space, outer planets, and the inner world, and all that mm -hmm. stuff that's going on. And yet, there, there's, a, like I'm saying, there's a disconnect there. And it seems yeah. like people like you that are investigating this phenomena that is real and happening, it's tangible, understand this, this, this crossroad, that gateway. I, I think more people are coming around to it, though. That's, I should... I should preface that by saying, you know, I, I think people are coming around to it. And um, we're, we see that. We see that with a project like Hellier because, frankly, you know, we talked to networks and production companies about airing Hellier. Um, and it's, uh, it was always really interesting because they wanted the project, but they, they, wanted, they wanted goblins, you know? Yeah. They wanted it to be just about one specific thing. And when we would fight for the idea that it could be more than that, they would say, no, people, people don't want that. That's not what people want to see. And we were realizing they were wrong. They're wrong because there's been such a, it's resonated so hard with so many people. And some people don't even know why it's resonated with them. And we've seen people now who are reading like, you know, Valley and Keel for the first time, uh, mm -hmm. people who've been paranormal investigators for, for a decade or more reading Keel for the first time. And if we don't accomplish anything else, but to make people actually go out and read some books, that's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll consider yes. the project a success. Uh, so people are getting there and I think they're more willing now than they have been before. Um, I think the next five years are going to be a fight because there's like a paranormal television apocalypse happening right now where there's just like shitty shows being greenlit left and right. Uh, and uh, it's, it's going to be tough and it's going to be interesting to see how people respond to it. Um, younger people, people who are actually invested in the paranormal. So some of the, the older people who've done it a long time and have seen it uh, who can like ask us 
questions who are like, oh, have you started experiencing this yet? You know, that type of thing who are in the know. It's resonated with them. It's resonated with younger people a lot more who are tired of the same old ghost stories over and over. Um, and so I think, I think we'll get to that place where people start to really understand the crossover and those nexus points. Um, and we're closer than we've ever, we've, at least that I've seen, you know, I've, I've been doing this since I was a kid. And again, I was mostly a ghost hunter. And so I can tell you within ghost hunting, the ghost hunting community, for sure, we're, a, we're at a better point than we've ever been when it comes to people understanding crossover, like paranormal crossover. Um, and I think it was even, wasn't it? it was, I think it was Jung who was talking about how UFOs are a, a, a subcon, they're a manifestation of the collective subconscious. Yes. To get us to look at the world in a different way. Yes. And the way that these things are being presented to us through the media, through, you know, you know the television and movies and things like that are kind of changing that narrative. So we're not actually looking at these things the way we're supposed to. We're, we're seeing these things externalized. And instead of doing what we're supposed to be doing and thinking inward, mm-hmm. we're going, what part of space is that thing from? Yes. Yeah, this is a, it's, it's a, it's, intri- it's integral. And in, I think when, for people that actually get to the deeper uh, space or the deeper, start moving towards the nexus of all of this, yeah. is that it is, we're externalizing to such a degree that things are actually becoming inherently autonomous and therefore detached from us. Oh, that's, yeah, for sure. Or short, like one of the things that we're always, you know, warning people about is um, negativity, not just, you know, in, 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 you know, a personal negativity, but an externalized negativity. So like a lot of the artifacts that we get, 95% of them never do anything for us. They might be super haunted to whoever gives them to us, but I think that's because of an externalized negativity that they put Mm -hmm. on the thing. If you, if you convince enough people to do that and to put that on something, that's how you get places that are, are super nasty, super haunted, yep. uh, and, and objects that are super nasty, you know, whatever, whatever they are, cursed objects. And then that can become an actual harmful thing. Um, and, and again, like we were talking about earlier, like attracts like. So you putting all that negativity out of the world, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you're only going to get it back. And sometimes it's in a really weird psychological aspect that can eventually end up harming somebody else psychologically too. Mike Emery is that guy's name. E-M-E-R-Y. Awesome. Well, I'm going to write it down. <laughs> All of his work is on uh, academia.edu. Oh, awesome. Fantastic. I was just uh, printing some stuff off from there the other day. It's crazy, but it's interesting. That right up my alley. Crazy, but interesting. All right. I got questions. Yeah. All right. All right. I tried to word this the best way possible, but it's, it's fucked up. So, <laughs> so the residual energy that's bound to items, right? That you, sure. that when you encounter them, do you think mm-hmm. that that energy could in any way be karmic energy? Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, here's a good example of that. Uh, there's a collection of dolls that we have that we don't typically take out on display. They are probably the gnarliest thing anyone's ever given to us. And they're filled with so much horrible, horrible energy, bad vibes. Anyone who sees them can feel it. They are old, um, like 
show me where they touched you dolls that were used in court cases. And you think about all of the horrible nastiness that has been projected into those things. I mean, they don't use them anymore. They have much better ways of doing it. But they're anatomically correct dolls with numbers on them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he was showing me the uh, hair standing up on his arm. The goosebumps or chill went down my spine when you said those touch dolls. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's terrible. And, and they literally stay in a chest, locked up. Um, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of really fucked up stuff that, that people have given us. But that one always is, is one of the worst, if not the worst, just because of everything that's gone into it. And they were causing real problems in a place, um, tangible problems. But um, because th- that is some bad, heavy shit in those things. So Tough. with that type of stuff, we just lock it up. They don't take it out. You know, we don't really let people handle them or touch them. They just, they just are there to sleep. Mm. Interesting. Thank you. Okay. So um, who's your favorite doctor? I don't have one. Oh, come on. I, I seriously, I, I, I could make one up. I could tell you just, I could just come up with one, but I, yeah, I've never about. watched. I've never watched. Oh, you're not a doctor fan. Okay. I'm not. I, I've, I've, I tried, but I, I was told by my good friend, John Tenney, I tried with the wrong version. Uh, who was the guy before Matt Smith? David Tennant. No, before David Tennant. Uh, I don't know. The dude um, with the white, the blonde dude? No, he had like a shaved head. It was uh, like an older guy, right? Yeah. He yeah. was on that show Heroes, I think. Oh, maybe. He was a priest. Oh, that's no more than I do. That sounds right. Pete yeah. Eggleston, I think. Pete. That might be it. I remember. I'm. Yep. There we go. I see it in the chat. Eggleston. Um. I watched uh two episodes and I was like, I don't Chris. see what everybody. I don't see what everybody sees in this. He was a weak dog. Well, that's the, what I was told. Watch was the Capaldi one. All right. Okay. I I always I want to give it a shot. I mean, it, enough people like it, it must be okay. Or I just I've never been hooked no. in either, Greg. Ever I've tried. Well, then I don't feel so bad. Thank you. Know. You know more names of doctors than I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have so many friends who are constantly trying to get me to watch it. <laughs> there was one episode during the Capaldi season. I don't remember the 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 number, but they went back to the time. I think it was like the time of the Medici's in Venice, whenever that was. Mm-hmm. And found out that the whole family, the whole royalty was, were lizard people in skin, in human skin suits. Oh, interesting. <laughs> See, all the, these, the premise always sounds good in all these different storylines. Right. That's what I think, too. Um, uh, I love the concept. I, I think yeah. the concept of, you know, this, this Time Lord is great. Yes. I haven't, I haven't given it a fair shake. I tried, and, I, and again, it was years ago, and it was with the wrong doc. I had the the Afro seventies doctors, the one I mm, okay. I got a show for you to binge if if you're bored. It's yeah, called the uh, DC Legends of Tomorrow. It's on Netflix, like the first three seasons. Okay. It's about a group of people on a time traveling spaceship that <laughs> their job in life is to correct the timeline when villains fuck it up. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I you know I think the only reason I never gave it a shot because I know of it is just because I was a Marvel fanboy growing up. I never read DC. I was too, but these DC shows are pretty good. Well, I got problems with them now, but whatever. Okay, all right. That's, I hear the shows are good. It's the movies they can't really nail. DC's movies are yeah, they're lame. Yeah, the shows are the shows are well written. 
a little bit too social justice but yeah. I gotcha. Like, but yeah. What, for... You guys watched Umbrella Academy yet? Yeah. What'd you think? I have not. Mm, I enjoyed it. I liked uh, The Order better, I think. I haven't seen The Order. No, it's like Sabrina. And the new season of Sabrina is good, too. Really? Yeah. I tried watching Sabrina with Dana, and she peaced out. She didn't like it. Yeah, oh, because just... it's, it's, you know... I mean, it's pop culture witch. It's, it's pop culture witch, pop culture Satanism. Yeah, yeah, right, right. The, the funny thing, one of the funny things about Sabrina is that the, the older people, the older woman, her, her aunt, who takes care of yeah. her, always says, oh, my dear Satan, or, you know, <laughs> insert God, you know, like, oh, my Satan. I, yeah. it's, it's hilarious. All right. So, I, I, yeah, I haven't seen that. I, Jerry keeps trying to get me into the magicians, and I've tried a couple times. And I, I have good friends hang. that are into the magicians, the and magician. I can't do it either. I can't awesome. hang. Just watch the whole season. Oh, You'll love it. Yeah. You will love it. I can't get hooked <laughs> anyway. on this at all. Did you play video games at all? Oh, yeah. That's Who's my, your favorite? What's your favorite Zelda game series? <sighs> I was never a Nintendo kid. I was a Sega kid. Sonic? I think uh, <laughs> loved, loved Sonic. Mm. Loved it. Sonic 2 was the best Sonic they ever made. Sweet. But I think that's just because that's what came with my Sega Genesis when I was a kid. Sonic Adventure was pretty great. Sonic Adventure 2, I like that. The Dreamcast was good. When I was a kid, we had Intellivision. Oh, nice. I never had Intellivision. I did have an Atari 2600. My parents got it at a yard sale. <laughs> and for I did play for a buck. the ET game to completion. Actually. Which one? The ET. ET game, like the notoriously worst yes. game for creating. Yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. an Atari. I love it. <laughs> All right. I'm out of questions. Nish is muted. I'm surprised there weren't more questions. Those were all from Nate, by the way. Thank you, Nate. What, Nate, Thanks, I love Nate. Nate, Nate. Nate. <laughs> all right. So let's wrap it up. It's about two hours. Nice. It's a good chat. Yeah. That went like nothing. I can't think of anything. I know. It's so, so fast. Well, let's talk about our uh, plugs, stuff like that. When's Hellier 2 coming out? We uh, are hard at work on Hellier 2. Um, I think people are going to be blown away. Uh, Carl was just here. We didn't intend on shooting any Hellier stuff, but we ended up doing it. Um, we started shooting in December. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know if I'm even supposed to say this, but I think we want to have it out by the end of the year. That, I think, is the goal we're aiming for. And, um, it's a good goal. Not a hard date. Yeah, yeah. No no hard date yet, um, but it's much bigger. Carl showed us some of the rough cut stuff already, and it's just, I mean, I was I literally screaming. I was so excited. It's, uh, it's the, you know, people don't realize we made Hellier for like 2,500 bucks. You know, it was, it, it, there was no money involved in it. And so now, you know, that we're able to put a little more into it. it you can tell, I mean, the first season looked good, but this season looks amazing already, and it's not even like color corrected or anything yet. So that's great. I'm looking forward. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. So you guys are going to be where Rhode Island this summer, or that? Yeah, we'll be all over the place. Uh, This weekend, we're in Belvoir at the Belvoir Winery in uh, Missouri. We're going to be in Rhode Island for the X Filers United Convention, Mm -hmm. like two weeks after that, into this month. Um, Yeah, we'll be all over the place. People are curious about where to come and see us or, or the museum, uh, they can just go to paramuseum.com, P-A-R-A museum.com. We've got all the lists of places we're adding stuff all the time. So there's a good chance we'll be in your neck of the woods at some point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. No, I don't have it. I'll put that link in the show notes for everyone. 
When will you be out in Portland, Oregon? Oh my God, we want to come to the Pacific Northwest so bad, but nobody ever does stuff there. Are you kidding? It seems like seems like there's always stuff going on here. Nothing that ever, no one that ever invites us. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yeah, we we want to so bad, so bad. Um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to do that a little bit more, maybe towards the end of the year. Uh, I'm hoping that all the people, because that's where I live. I'm hoping that the, some of the people that will be listening will get in contact with you, because there are so many. Hey, worst comes to worst, we'll just have to do something ourselves out there. Yes. Maybe. Yes, definitely. I mean, it could be, I can't imagine if so it would be just Portland will eat you up. Oh, I'd love to. I mean, I lived in Seattle for many years and uh, missed the Pacific Northwest dearly, dearly. Any excuse yeah. I can get to come out. Yeah. Every time I've left the Pacific Northwest, I've missed it so bad I had to move back. Yeah. Well, we That's live in Cincinnati right now, so you can imagine how bad we're missing it. Oh, we. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's fine here. Now, Ohio's great. The, but, big Dick Daddy in Cincinnati, you're not. Northwest it's, it's, it's Ohio. It's really conservative here, too, so you can imagine we have a bit of it. People are always like, why don't you do more stuff? You do, do more events in the Cincinnati area. Well, because people aren't really into it here. <sighs> It's yeah, amazing true. out here, as you know. It's oh, just know. everywhere yeah. is so gorgeous. Yeah, big and Bigfoot Central. I, that's a lot of squatchy stuff. I out had there. my experience, Mount Hood. There you go. Yeah, it's squatchy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Greg, for coming on. It's been a pleasure speaking with oh, you. Oh, this was so much fun. Thank you, guys. Yes. It's yeah. great to do stuff where there's different questions yes know? that's what we <laughs> we love asking different questions i love it it's great and thank you everyone thank for you. listening and next week we have jessica morocco she's a channeler and psychic should be pretty interesting she channels the andronicus chronicles you can look for that on youtube so that's all i got take care everyone have a good night, <laughs> good night bye everybody, everybody. Bye. thank you